Hi, folks, it's me, Megan Bob, and I have kind of a major announcement. The next episode, episode 93, is going to be the last regular episode of The Next Wrestling Fan. So my dad died in September, and my health exploded shortly after that and has been in a continual state of tumult since then. Um, don't worry, it's we're working on it. It's not awful. It's just a lot. Between that and my day job, these stress levels on my brain and on my body, it's just too much. So in order to be responsible to myself and frankly, to the quality of the show, I'm having to make a lot of adjustments. And this is one of the hard ones to accept. Um, I am not going to say goodbye now, though, because we're not done yet. Now, there will be no regular episode after episode 93. But there will still be bonus episodes coming out in July, so keep an eye out for those. Nothing released in August at all. So just expect August to be quiet on the feed. So sometime, once the dust and the heat waves of August are in the rear view, Chris and I are going to record our final Next Wrestling Fan episode, and it's going to cover TakeOver Unstoppable. My plan at this particular juncture, I am not going to watch any of the coverage between then and now. Because I want to go out just like I came into this show, fumbling for answers in a sea of spandex. I would like to be low-key baffled. I'm sure I'm going to pick up on a lot of what's happening, but I would like to at least have some moments where I'm like, wait, what the fuck is going on? That would be the dream. Then uh, Miles and I will cover the rest of Sammy and Kevin's career on the main roster in an episode. With myth, fingers crossed. Do not expect those until sometime after August, though. I really don't want to put a firm date on anything because my health is a roller coaster, which makes the rest of my life a roller coaster. So I, I don't want to be more precise than that because I frankly cannot promise that it is accurate. Now, for Patreon, you can unsubscribe and follow the public feed after July. You're not going to miss anything. I'll continue to post to both places, but the Patreon will no longer get anything Patreon only after July. So please just know that you are not going to be getting anything Patreon specific after July. I have no imminent plans to migrate bonus content from Patreon to the main feed. So the Patreon will continue to be the only place to get bonus content for now. If you want to subscribe and just download what you'd like and then unsubscribe immediately after that, that is perfectly fine. Truly, however you want to get access to Miles and I laughing our asses off about the Kentucky Fried Chicken romance novel, that's valid. Whatever you want to do to make that happen, what? go on. That's totally cool. The Hills of Kentucky Miss You, Your Brother. Oh, that book. That book was a real gift. Okay. So this is the part where I tell you that I am sending you back to past Chris and Bob, which is a really already obscuring the issue because I, this is a recording, so already I am in the past as well, but they are further in the past somehow, despite the fact that at the point you are listening to this, it is your present. I look, time's complicated. So, but this is the point whenever I say, oh, I'm sending you back to them for the episode. And normally there's going to be some sort of beep to signal that. But my dog, Mulder, gets incredibly frightened of all beeps and bell sounds for some reason. Which, look, I do not like a beep or a bell either. So rather than risk 
anything like that, I am just going to calmly say beep myself. All right, folks, thank you so much for being on the ride and your grace as I do what I got to do to take care of myself. I promise that we will give Sami Zayn the beautiful farewell that he earned the moment he won our hearts with that infectious doggo bouncy boy energy. Now, I turn it over to Chris and Bob to cover episode 92. All right, Mulder, cover your ears. Beep. I'm Megan Bob, and I'm here to understand the mysteries of wrestling. And I'm Chris, post-apocalyptic scavenger. I'm here to help (laughs) with the aid of a show that marks the crossroads of pro wrestling past and future. This is The Next Wrestling Fan, a classic NXT review podcast for all you marks who want to get smarter about wrestling. And smart fans looking for a reason to mark out again. This week... We're discussing the episode of NXT that first aired on February 25th, 2015, to find out whether it's the best thing since sliced bread number two. Mm. From now on, to get the jokes in this podcast, you have to know wrestling names. Oh, well. The new regime begins now. Uh, no, I don't need jokes that bad. It's fine. <laughs> Welcome to episode 92 of The Next Wrestling Fan, a podcast of fights and feels. Last episode, we said goodbye to Adrian Neville in a barn burner of a main event against Kevin Owens, and we said hello to two new faces in NXT, Rhino in a squash against current jobber Elias Sampson, and Solomon Crow in a beatdown against forever jobber CJ Parker. Aww. This week, another wanderer from the faraway land of main roster arrives, seeking to feast from the gobbit of fresh ab meat that is Finn Balor. Kevin Owens sits in on commentary to watch the action, and then God performs his kindest wrestling miracle personally for me. (laughs) (laughs) We'll hear all about that in Bob's Breakdown. After that, we'll dig into the sights, sounds, and feels of pro wrestling. We'll also be handing out our Borens Olivier Awards for commitment to the bit. And after that, Megan Bob will take a shot at predicting next week's twist in the ongoing saga of NXT in a segment we call The Next Big Thing. First, though, we should talk about your prediction from last week. We should. Megan Bob, you had one point coming into this episode. I did. I am at a zero count on incorrect guesses. So you actually come into this episode in the lead, even though those things are not commensurate. Nonetheless, when one number is higher than another number, someone is winning. Last episode, Bob tried to predict which event would happen this week from a list of four options. They chose Sami Zayn once again cuts a cell phone promo from Montreal, where he's brooding over what he'll do to Kevin Owens as soon as he's mentally fit for an NXT return. And alas, Bob, you are not correct. That means you will still have just one point going into the next episode, and also that we are at one on a new five count toward my next bonus episode. But you will have a chance to score another point and break up my five count later this episode. But for now, let's jump into Bob's breakdown. Our commentary team for this episode is Corey Graves, Alex Riley, and Tom Phillips. I don't know if anyone's ever been excited for Tom Phillips, but I am. (laughs) So there. Tom Phillips, wherever you are. I say that like you might be deceased. I don't think you are. 
Tom Phillips, wherever you're doing commentary. <laughs> at big squared circles. No, Tom Phillips is alive. Tom Phillips is doing great, I'm sure. Okay, I mean, I'm sure that's true. I'm going to Google it while you're talking. Good call. Good call. You check what Tom Phillips' status is. Re-life or death. <laughs> First of all, Tom Phillips is a visual artist. <gasps> is he now? IRL? Yeah, not the same guy. Different guy. Oh. A real name, Tom Hannafan. He is now on Impact Wrestling as their lead play-by-play commentator. Oh, I think I've heard him a few times. You know what? Having him there does make me go, oh, this is a better product than I remembered. <laughs> the power of commentary. It's time for match number one. Chris Hideo Itami is going to fight someone. Mm, I would like you to give me the top five people, places, things, ideas, whatever. The real like Carmen Sandiego stole something. Mm. Anything that you would have preferred to see Hideo Itami fight rather than the match we got. Go crazy, dream big. The Portuguese language. <laughs> Let's see. I mean, the first thing, and I feel like such a fucking show off saying, like, this is not for moral reasons. This is just like, I'm thinking of his feud at the Ascension. There was a lot of stuff in there I didn't like, but I loved him, like, sitting in the chair. He fights off their attack on him, and then he sits in the chair and, like, makes, mm -hmm. like, come on motions at them. Yes. That's badass, and for that reason... I would like him to take on the phenomenon of anti-Asian violence. I just feel mm -hmm. like, yeah, and again, not trying to be a good guy here. It just seems like a cool thing to watch. <laughs> he would do a good job. Yeah, yeah. Other than that, though, I mean, you know what? I'm actually going to look at a, because you said Carmen Sandiego. Yeah. You know what? I think it's going to be stuff from that list. So let me just take a quick look. <laughs> There's a list here. Of 50 things that Carmen Sandiego stole, it is from the Mary Sue. Love you, the Mary Sue. I would like to see Hideo Itami fight, keeping in mind his fighting style. Number one. Okay. The fish from half of Lake Titicaca. Okay. Okay, good. Number seven, the Silver Pagoda. Okay. Number three, the gargoyles from Notre Dame Cathedral. Ooh. Not the ones from the Disney movie. He's too good for no. them. Yeah, he is. Real stone gargoyles. And then uh, for one more... I'm sorry, I already stole the Portuguese language. All the goulash. Really? Hideo Itami versus all the goulash. I would be worried about his survival. That seems like a real drowning risk. That's It's a ton of goulash, but at the same time, imagine the comeback. He's dripping with goulash, but he's shaking <laughs> his head. No, not this time, goulash. Now, this was but your top five. Where in the list of things would you say Hideo Itami fighting Bull Dempsey is for you? Out of a, at an infinite list of things, where does that place? <laughs> in Carmen Sandiego terms, mm -hmm. the secret recipe for kimchi. Like, that's fine. Like, I'm it's, it's OK. Like, I'm glad he did it. Good for him. Yeah. Also secret. I mean, it's fermentation. I'm not sure that's secret, but okay. Carmen San Diego taking a very strong stance on going, <laughs> nobody knows how fermentation works. Unknowable. That was Carmen San Diego's greatest trick is convincing everyone that no one knows how kimchi is made. <laughs> but yes, that's correct. It's Bull Dempsey fighting Hideo Itami. The audience is it's like a group of jaded kindergartners. Like there's a certain guileless like, yeah, like whatever's going on. Just general kind of malaise, but like rowdy. 
Mm. They've had their snack. They're not ready to like pop off, but you know, they're still kindergartners. They're not going <laughs> to take this shit lying down. <laughs> so as Bull Dempsey makes a fist, this is one of his moves. He makes a fist, you see, mm-hmm. and then he clubs Itami with it. Mm-hmm. The audience is just kind of like enjoying the fact that the teacher has put on stand and deliver. Actually, Chris, I was polling some of my friends about this. I know you didn't go to public school for most of your life, but I am curious. Did you get exposed to any of what I would consider the canon of films that the substitute teacher would show you? <laughs> it's a very specific. I should teach that for a class someday. <laughs> I, what does this say rhetorically about the substitute teacher? Hmm. I can't remember any standouts as like like movies. Oh, you didn't watch Rudy? Can't remember ever seeing a, like a substitute teacher like movie or anything like that. Now, shows, obviously, Bill Nye the Science Guy. That was the yes. one. I've seen that probably 10 times more than I've seen anything else in the classroom. Wow. Was your science teacher just like off having an affair? <laughs> didn't give a fuck? Like... You're going, no movies. In his marriage, it is known as the Nye years, the bow tie era. (laughs) I mean, that Bill Nye fellow. I do like him. So Bull Dempsey's just doing his greatest hits, which are not coincidentally hits. Mm -hmm. From the commentary booth, Alex Riley says, how can you not like a guy like Bull Dempsey? He looks like a guy who's going to hit you in the mouth. (laughs) Alex Riley out here advertising his type, I guess. Hideo kicks back. As is his won't. It, what? 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 Just, I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm trying not to interrupt the show by being mad at Alex Riley. Listen, Alex Riley, they're all fucking wrestlers. If you like violence, if you like people who hit other people, you cannot hit the jack. You are swimming in it like Scrooge McDuck, Alex Riley. <laughs> Everyone here makes a fist and hits people. It's what they do for a living. What the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> It is weird that he and he alone has decided to put over Bull Dempsey. It's like, <laughs> wow. Like, that makes me feel worse for Bull Dempsey. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just like, oh, come on. Corey Graves, can you do it instead? Like, that would at least make me feel a little bit less bad. I, he did a little bit. I think they must have gotten a note in commentary, like, make sure to like verbally put over bull dempsey because it's the only way he's going to get put over on this show and it's very sad yeah nobody needs to be out there no looking like a bull dempsey getting living participation trophy alex riley handed to them just like let the man have the dignity of being a loser yeah it's so hideo kicks back as is his want once dempsey is down in the corner itami delivers a kick in the corner and then a flying drop kick to pin dempsey for the win itami is celebrating and on his way up the ramp and sure, why wouldn't he celebrate a monumental victory over the monster heel that's never monstered, hasn't really healed either. Mm-mm. I will say there's something that I do enjoy about this because very good witch. Good witch will just deliver exposition with zero intention of ever having foreshadowing or indeed ever following up on anything that has been foreshadowed. <laughs> will very frequently go. Oh, I wonder what that portends. Gone. The next episode, (laughs) gone. No one knows. Tremendous. And so with Bull Dempsey. Oh, have you heard about Bull Dempsey? He's terrifying and dangerous. Two squash matches. Well, I wish they were squash. Two squash matches and then he loses 
forever. Paper tiger? Mmm. That is an insult to cardstock, my friend. <laughs> this is a Kleenex cheetah. <laughs> Cheetahs, despite how cute they are, also weaker than you would imagine. I'm going to make an impromptu pitch here. You were saying Squatch matches. Yes, Squatch matches. Here's a better gimmick for Bull Dempsey. <laughs> He's a Squatch. The son of a famous half Yeti wrestler, but he denies it. Oh. <sighs> Oh, my God. And everybody's always trying to, like, get him to admit it. And he's like, no, man, I don't know what you're talking about. This is how you use Devin. Devin comes in because she never has anything good to ask. She's always like. (laughs) Well, in fairness, neither does fucking Greg. Don't come out here and come after Devin when Greg is also doing this. Oh, yeah. Devin and Greg. Every interview set up. It's like, you know. So a thing just happened, microphone in your face, that's all. And <laughs> But what would be much better is just like have her come up and be like, Bull, the word is backstage that you enjoy eating a lot of salmon, like a lot of salmon. Do you have any comment on that? Just trying to catch him in like a Sasquatch thing. Do you think Squatches are salmon fans? I don't I, Well, I don't Sasquatches know. specifically, we're talking about like Pacific Northwest, like Bigfoot style, you know. Oh, if that's, is that? I don't know if they're. I mean, I don't know. I hadn't really given any thought to whether or not they were pescatarians, but perhaps they are. Look, if they're here, then they must be ancient. And if they evolved in the Pacific Northwest, then they probably eat salmon. Oh, wow. Okay. Sorry. Noted cryptozoologist. (laughs) Stands to reason. You know what is not weak, which would have worked better (laughs) if we had kept up with where we were whenever I was going to deliver that. Let's try it with, you know what, doesn't eat salmon and just see how it goes. You know what doesn't eat salmon? Hitting someone with a giant selfie stick covered in white and blue faux fur. Seamless, Chris. Seamless. Mm -hmm. Could not have worked better. Selfie stick. Yes. Selfie stick. <laughs> Please continue. Go ahead. I was going to chant about salmon, but I didn't have anything to for the second word. Obviously, it is Tyler Breeze up to shenanigans. He wipes out Hideo and then attempts to get a selfie with the fallen Atami in the background, which I was like, would Alexander the Great have done that? I was going, yeah, probably. I don't think all of them would have, like all of the conquerors in history. But, you know, some of them would have. Well, it's hubris and it's his fatal flaw. Mm. And so because absolutely the self-aggrandizing impulse is essential to empire building. Yeah. Look, everyone, it's Ozymandias. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck that. Okay, that's goddamn. That's extremely good. That's so good. I want to fight you. (laughs) Like, that's the only way I can show you how passionate I am about Ozymandias jokes. It's going, I have to shove you in a parking lot. Still not my favorite theme song joke though i really enjoyed being able to write the description for the jetsons episode i really like that well hurricanoes the king lear big show joke that was really good (laughs) oh man as breeze is getting the shot figured out which shot composition is very tricky it takes time itami gets back up and breeze catches sight of him in the camera which is like oh there's something behind me Hmm, what? Oh, no, it's behind me in real life. Oh, I love it. (laughs) Cue the running. But Itami has Breeze in the ring now and leaves him thoroughly rumpled in a fighting way, not in a sexy way, although not not in a sexy way, before sending Breeze 
fleeing to the back. Chris, is Tyler Breeze the Chikara-ist guy on the roster? He may well be, and he's one of the best kinds of Jakara guys in that he's not out there trying to be wacky. He's not the guy who's Mm-mm. out there as an ant. He's not the guy who's out there, you know, doing hey, the whoa, big... whoa, whoa, watch your mouth. <laughs> no, that's great. Those guys, obviously, you need the ants. But yeah. what's rarer is the person who is like, as everyone knows, like the straight man is like an essential, thankless job, and it's rare to find a person who has the passion to do it, especially electively. You know, sometimes people get pressed into it, but like it makes you think of like SNL, like where you want that person who is going to have the sensibility to understand the over the top character and be in those scenes, but facilitate it. Like they don't need to be the center of attention. And I think Tyler Breeze. David Mitchell. (laughs) Jesus, his his ability. I, I bet you he had a lot to do with putting this like spot together. This seems like the way he thinks about things because there's always more story in his stuff than other people's. The idea of using the Tron to like set up the joke, I think is very characteristic. And yeah, it is. It's Chikara bullshit, but it's like he can work on that from a creative perspective. But then out there in the ring, the joke's on him, which is perfect. It's exactly the guy you want for Chikara. So fucking good. Add. It's the saga of the shield. Seth betrayed Roman Reigns, and you see the shocked face of Dean Ambrose. All I can think is, what a fucking way for your polycule to explode. Mm. One day, you're all sharing ice cream in bed. The next, chairs. Feelings about the shield? Because this one is the destruction of the shield. So it's basically like, remember when they used to fuck? Well, now they've broken up. (laughs) That should be the WWE tag team version of Behind the Music. Remember when they used to fuck. (laughs) The Shield, I know that lots of people have strong feelings about the stable. I don't. And I think I came in at just the wrong time for it. I think I started watching Mm. again, like at the tail end of when they were around. And I wasn't really watching main roster stuff. Like I watched the WrestleMania and like then the ensuing Raw where like the breakup happens. But Yeah, I was just catching the end of it. And so to me, I have much stronger feelings about them individually. But I know that The Shield was big. And I feel like it was an example of a successful creative move on WWE's part of identifying like these three guys as an act together. They're going to get over. They're going to develop as performers. And then we're going to like split them off in their own separate directions. It seems to me like it's rare for that to work out. And if you look at where they are in their careers now, I can't really think of another recent team that has had its members go on uniformly to so much success as the shield oh god no and they were pushed to the moon too yeah okay so if they were like teenage mutant ninja turtles and you're like okay i have to call one like i'm gonna well obviously we're on the playground Mm -hmm. one of us is gonna play xyz which one are you calling who do you want to play seth okay Okay. Yeah, I think I probably want to beat Dean Ambrose. WWE is definitely the wrong environment for Dean Ambrose. Like, Oh, it is. Very much so. He was really like held back by the fact that... He's not allowed to live in a skip. (laughs) 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 The product. I think Seth turned on the group. And for that to work really well, you need to be able to have like the tough guy baby face really take it to Seth. And they did great with like the chicken shit heel thing with Seth. But the equally ruthless, aggrieved babyface is not something Dean Ambrose was ever allowed to be because the product didn't support it. And so it made him look kind of like a chump, like the one who rides a motorcycle 
should never be like traipsing around doing like comedy and having that pesky bad guy always getting away from him. (laughs) No, he should be in a car with his boyfriend running it into an RV that is owned by Chris Jericho. That was a magical time whenever he and Eddie Kingston were married on (laughs) RIP those days. Get them back together. Now, Tom Phillips introduces us to the Brian Kendrick as opposed to, you know, just uh, it's a this is a definite article. Thank you very much. Sort of Kurt Cobain hair, like a shitty peacocking rocker jacket and the gimmick that he's the smartest guy in the room. A.K.A. the guy there were like three of in every goddamn high school. I know that he said some super awful stuff tonight in the Holocaust and other shit. So be aware in advance is a shit sack. But his hairstylist does know what they're doing. Tag team action. The Lucha Dragons are here to see if Sin Cara clocked in today or not. Mm. <laughs> I will say we give Sin Cara a lot of shit, which straight up fucking deserves a lot of the time but i will say if you've not ever watched the entrance they're on the ramp they come down the ramp he runs down the ramp and then from the base of the fucking ring leaps up and over the top rope and then somersaults to land standing up like that's how he enters that's uh, look that's pretty fucking good. I'm not saying you could coast on that. You cannot. But like, he is kind of cool. I appreciate that he like does all the shit extracurricular style. He's like, oh, oh, turn in my homework. Fuck no. But will I do the extra credit? Absolutely. And part of me's like, eh, respect. <laughs> no, no, you don't relate. You don't relate to this. You were not that student. No. <laughs> I was I'm sorry I was just watching I was just watching the video of him botching his for his debut on his entrance like it so okay so here's the thing they set up a trampoline so you can get into the rain that way right and oh yeah and he fucking like I thought that he did that just because he had superpowers I'm so disappointed to find out there's a trampoline involved all right so he's a human being no it is a trampoline and I believe on his on his entrance his first time he whipped it and he jumped like (gasps) he jumped off the trampoline into the ropes oh Oh, (laughs) Sinkara Oh, man. You never want to hear Chris Newton laugh and then say, oh, and then your name. That's like, no, forget it. Just go live in the woods. It's over. You're about to appear on Mega Dumbcast. You gotta run. So the screen glitches and we cut to Wasteland Hacker Man, Solomon Crow, whose hair and beard look unpleasantly pube-esque, I would say, in that particular lighting. I have an ongoing list of things Solomon Crow looks like, which we've only scratched the surface of. Okay, go Do on. you want to hear one for this episode? You know what? Are they numbered? Is this a numerical list? It's not numerical. They're all brainstormed. Oh, they're... I was going to have you roll, but okay. No, no. They're just kind of in a hopper. And the next one in the hopper is futuristic Final Fantasy character who all his dialogue starts with ch, like T-C-H, ch. Oh, yeah. No, I know. Because he's a tough guy. Ch. He's a real ch. He looks thoughtful and talks to the iPad he's holding. It's probably not an iPad, but sure. 
about the fact that he's here on a mission that won't be complete until he's NXT champion. You've been warned. Cut back to the match as Jason Jordan and Ty Dillinger bop to the ring looking swole and also having some of the bubbliest butts. Such good butts. The match kicks off with Jason Jordan showing the Lucha Dragons what for and throwing Kalisto around, which, to be fair, Sin Cara also does, but it's different when it's your tag team partner. You know? <laughs> like, that's allowed. Ty Dillinger gets tagged in and ends up struggling a bit, reaching for the tag. But then he gets out of the hold and he's like, no, no, I'm good. I'm good. Ends up telling his tag team partner, who is still very ready to get on on the action because he's like, well, look, buddy, we've tagged together a lot. This is a house of fucking cards. <laughs> like, you had better tag me in. But instead, Ty Dillinger is like, relax. I'll take things not to yell at your partner for 500, Alex. <laughs> Unlike the rest of us, Ty Dillinger cannot hear the Jaws theme song playing after that decision. And so blithely continues the match. He fucks it up, though, and gets kicked by Kalisto. He grounds Kalisto again, but sees that there might be wisdom in letting his BF get in on the action. Reaches for that tag. His boyfriend is not having it. Dillinger reaches to tag Jordan, who jumps down and walks away. The equivalent of your partner says just the wrong thing at a social gathering. And you're like, hmm. And then get your keys. Leave. Mm. Wow. Dillinger is Salida del Sold into the pin and forced to live with the shame of not just losing to the Lucha Dragons, but also being publicly abandoned by his hottie boyfriend. Jason Jordan, wrestling detective, seems to have found what it is he was looking for. It was his self-fucking-respect. You love to see it. Yeah, he's going to get his groove back, I'm sure. Backstage, Finn Balor is accosted by Greg. I don't even know if that's Greg's name. I mean, he's called Greg and he looks like a Greg, but not a real Greg, because I have met some Gregs that were like Gregs. You know what I'm talking about, Chris? But this guy is just kind of a Greg. Mm -hmm. If you're like, how is this a conversation? Go to this episode. Go to the 17 minute mark. Look, if we've learned anything from this episode, it's that definite articles and indefinite articles are very, very different. This is a Greg. This is not the Greg. He's so mild-mannered. He's almost an, oh, not that Greg. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, chef kiss. Yes. Finn Balor isn't worried about Kevin Owens. He's like, I'll deal with him in due time, Greg. And he says, Greg, like, Greg, what are you doing here? I have a job to do. He's too focused on former WWE tag team champion Brian Kendrick. Now, if you'll excuse me, Greg, I've a match to prepare for. And off he goes to, you know, leave Greg to do Greg things. You know what? Greg probably doesn't even do Greg things. He always plans to do Greg things, but then whoever he's going to do Greg things with always tells him something suddenly came up. <gasps> that's, that's Brady Bunch Cannon. Wow. Wow. Shit. Poor Greg. No, I don't. I mean, he's nothing. It's like feeling bad about bullying, you know, those crocker mashed potatoes that come in. <laughs> I'm like, this is a victimless crime. He's never going to know. I'm sure he's a very nice man. I bet. Look, I'm going to say a nice thing about Greg. I bet his dick's huge. There we go. There. 
Take that, Greg. I'm sure that's what's going on. It's fine. He's not supposed to be anything yet. It's like he's a young a lion. Yeah. And then like someday he can have a gimmick, but not yet. So he's just oh, like, okay. you know, he's just being a guy who holds a microphone. It's fine. Oh, all right. Back in the ring, Dillinger is screaming that he demands an explanation. Because you suck, observes one crowd member. Oh, somebody who read their lines before the show. Very pleased. Ty Dillinger doesn't give one fuck whose match is next. Whoever it is, isn't even fit to lick his boot. Baron Corbin's music hits. We get a stunning close up on Ty Dillinger, <laughs> who looks horrified <laughs> and covered in flop sweat. Although this is sweat from the match he was just had. But it's perfect. It's like he started sweating because he heard the music. There is a match. It's the end of days. That's it. That's the match. Bye, Ty Dillinger. I don't know. I guess we'll see you at some point. Backstage, Charlotte says, there are no guarantees in life, except that the championship will be back on her waist. And I was like, I don't think that's how the phrase no guarantees in life works. I don't think you get to say there's no guarantees in life, except the one thing that I personally want a lot. You know, that would be bad, but she doesn't even say accept. It is the worst possible phrasing because she says, uh, I think I actually even wrote it down. Oh, did it bother you too? It absolutely did. She says, in this life, nothing is guaranteed. But what is, is that blah, blah, blah. It's like, why say the first part? Yeah, it was, it was a real, I had five minutes to come up with this. Mm hmm. And then, because we know she's going to get so good on the mic. So it's always weird to see her screw it up in a way that's like whenever you were saying it out loud to yourself and practicing in front of the mirror did you not hear that it sounded weird there is something else happening here where like that kind of verbiage is something you would hear from a real competitor in a yeah, sport totally. and i think like part of the reason why it's such a night and day difference with charlotte in particular in like her nxt days versus wwe is that first of all she's always credible as as a competitor and as a threat. So that helps a lot because you can kind of read her as like, well, like her job isn't to talk. Her job is to wrestle. But also everything is confidence with Charlotte. Like that is so essential to everything she does. And when she doesn't quite have the confidence at this stage, you notice mm. and you pick out and pick on those little things. If she delivered that line today. Yeah, true. Wouldn't even be a problem because it'd be like, yeah, that's some dumb shit that the totally real character of Charlotte just said. Yeah. And she probably will win because she's Charlotte. This is true. Also, Tyler Breeze claims that Hideo Tommy fell into his trap, which is how I'm going to describe it anytime I'm ever wrong about anything from now on. Mm. Something goes wrong. Ah, you fell into my trap. Megan, did you forget to move the laundry? Oh, forgot to move the laundry? I think you'll find that you've fallen into my trap. <laughs> my trap of me being bad at remembering to move the laundry. Seamless. Worked perfectly. You're blowing my mind right now because I've known people who actually set the trap of like, I'm upset that my partner doesn't clean the house up enough. And so I deliberately left something to like sit around and like get funky so I could like get mad about how long it was sitting there. Jesus but I've never heard of it used defensively, which would work perfectly. Like if someone was mad, it was like, you know, hey, you haven't touched that laundry. It's been like five days. You'd be like, yeah, that laundry has been sitting there for five days. Just absolutely turn around on them. Just say it right back to them. 
It was a test and you failed. No, I was the, <laughs> No, I was still going to be nice and adorable. Here you are going like <laughs> a weapon. Thank you, Megan Bob. Just what I always wanted. A fucking Bowie knife. Okay. <laughs> We also get a montage of Sami Zayn's time in Abu Dhabi and reassure that he must have had a lovely time, which makes me think that he didn't because it's pretty suspicious whenever the parent speaks very loudly over the child. It's like, no, no, they had a lovely time. They enjoyed every second of dinner at your house. Didn't complain about any of it. It's like, why is Tom Phillips telling me how much Sami Zayn loved it? Why isn't Sami Zayn telling me this is highly suspicious? I'm beginning to think you didn't like your vacation. Women's action. Okay, this was my time to use chat GPT. Chris, I'm going to give you a choice of three things. Depends on what you'd rather deliver. I asked it for something in the style of the King James Bible. I asked it for an actual kind of somewhat fire and brimstone sermon. It got okay. I mean, it's not terribly fire and brimstone, but ish. Or your best David Attenborough, which is going to live or die on delivery, because apparently David Attenborough, the way that it looks written is much like the rest of us would speak. I mean, obviously King James. Oh, okay. (laughs) I had no idea that the answer there was obviously, but okay. I mean, you would do the brothers and sisters hear me now thing very well, but (laughs) I'm not going to make you do that. Okay. And this installment of Chat GPT Theater. And low. On the 25th day of February in the year of our Lord, 2015, a great match was held in the land of NXT. Two warriors of the women's division didst enter the ring, each with their own unique style and skill. The first was Bailey, known for her huggable ways, yet also possessing a fierce determination to prove herself. The second was Becky Lynch, a newcomer to the land of NXT, with a fierce attitude and hard-hitting style. From the moment the bell rang, it was clear that this would be a battle for the ages. Becky didst take control with her impressive athleticism. Yet Bailey didst not falter. Blow for blow, the two didst exchange, neither gaining a clear advantage. But then, Becky did strike with a fierce ruthlessness. She didst target Bailey's injured shoulder, attacking it with a ferocity that left many in the crowd gasping. Despite Bailey's best efforts, the injury didst take its toll, and Becky didst catch her in a submission hold from which she could not escape. Bailey didst refuse to give up, fighting with every ounce of strength she had left. But alas, it was not enough, and Becky emerged victorious. After the match, Bailey didst hold her injured arm close, the pain evident on her face. But even in defeat, she didst show the heart of a warrior, and it was clear that she would not be kept down for long. And so let it be known that on that day in NXT, two women didst prove themselves to be true champions, each in their own way. May their legacy live on for many years to come. Is that what the Bible's like? I've not read it. No, no. Oh, these prepositional phrases. You can't. Anyway, no. <laughs> I'm very disappointed with this. Do you want me to give you the other one? I love, love the King James Bible. No, nothing else will do. I may have to rewrite this in the style of the King James Bible because now I'm now I'm hungry for it. <laughs> Chris Newton, hungry for that delicious King James Bible style. Listen, if you're raised on it, you got to have it. There's nothing like the language of the King oh, James Bible. Totally. No, I mean, I why well, say totally? I presume I wouldn't know, but I believe <laughs> you. You seem enthusiastic about it, so I assume it's probably pretty singular. I don't know. People are fans of it. I would guess that it's very popular. The Bible has a lot of misaimed fandom. Like there are a lot of people who are out there like big Bible stands, but they're like those people who are like too into Rorschach who are who like Watchmen. Um 
Oh, fuck. Oh, yeah. No, fuck that. Yeah. Okay. Hold on. I just have to break format really quickly to read to you from the Bible. Okay. Here we go. Okay. All right. Sorry. I'm jonesing for it. So this is at the end of Job. Oh, shit. My favorite book of the Bible where Job has been like wondering why he has been afflicted. And his friends are trying to convince him that like you must have sinned and done something wrong. And he keeps insisting like, no, I didn't do anything wrong. I'm not going to lie and say that I sinned. I'm also not going to curse God. I'm just going to stand here and be miserable knowing that this is happening to me and I don't know why. Um, I'm closing my eyes. And take me on a journey. And he's and he's very upset and injustice has been done to him, at which point God actually shows up to confront Job about Job's umbrage. Yeah. About the situation. Here we go. Job 38. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Gird up your loins like a man. I will question you and you shall declare to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the heavenly beings shouted for joy? Can you lift up your voice to the clouds so that a flood of waters may cover you? Can you send forth lightning so that they may go and say to you, here we are? Who has put wisdom in the inward parts or given understanding to the mind? Who has the wisdom to number the clouds? Or who can tilt the water skins of the heavens when the dust runs into a mass and the clods cling together? Can you hunt the prey for the lion or satisfy the appetite of the young lions when they crouch in their dens or lie in wait in their covert? (laughs) it is like the thunder of this language is just like it is like no other foundational for english yeah so so good also like so salty of god just be like oh i'm sorry oh absolutely (laughs) do you want to do so you you can also do all this shit do you want to make a world absolutely and i love the fact that there is no theological resolution it is a much more believable resolution where a righteous man in his righteousness says, I am being tormented by God for no reason and I don't understand. And then God appears to say, yeah, why would you? (laughs) (laughs) This is why I always struggled because I was like, he doesn't seem super friendly, which I guess you don't have to be. I guess that is the benefit of having created everything. You don't always have to be nice. It's true. <laughs> this is very complicated. I could I could talk about this all day, but we do have a wrestling show to talk about. Yeah, fair enough. Backstage, Rhino is big. He's as big as two Devons. That's how big he is. Mm. It's a unit of measurement because she's very tiny. I mean, she's not that tiny because he is as big as two Devons. I don't want you to think that Devon is like microscopic and then think that Rhino must not be that big. No, he's here. Because he sees the intensity in NXT and it mirrors his own intensity. He's a fan of ripping people in half. And he closes this particular interview with Devin by chanting gore with an intensity that Bull Dempsey can only dream of. And I'm like, is this is this just dunk on Bull Dempsey night? They're like, we brought another (laughs) man who's, you know, a charm to chant a single syllable, but to chant it in a way that one is already over and everybody does it. But more importantly, that the person whose thing it is can say it with a level of conviction that you never could. You person we foisted it upon. 
Still backstage, Jason Jordan is being followed slash interviewed about why he abandoned Ty Dillinger. He just says, I did what I did. I'll give you an explanation when I'm ready. Oh, <gasps> wow. The, again, things you shouldn't do in a relationship, but also what a power <laughs> move. Just go. I did what I did. I'll give you an explanation when I'm ready. Wow. Exceptional. You also have to see the look on his face. He looks like so deadened to it. Like I have nothing to prove to you. I'm just, I'm just trying to get through this day, man. Oh, fucking good. <laughs> Main event. Brian Kendrick is getting a welcome back chant. Chris, who the fuck is Brian Kendrick to these people? Uh, which, which Brian Kendrick? Oh, I'm sorry. The Brian Kendrick. Oh, oh, the Brian Kendrick. Not the Brian, Brian Kendrick, Kendrick, the guy who does interviews backstage. <laughs> So Brian Kendrick has quite a bit of history in WWE by this point, but he also has been gone for a while. I'm getting most of this, by the way, from Wikipedia. This is not during my wrestling watching years. The last time he was in WWE, he had, it looks like, a singles run after his tag team run with Paul London, but it was just for a short time. It was like 2008, 2009. This would have been the last time that the WWE audience saw him in a significant way. He was a tag team champion. I I understand that he got like a little bit of a push at some point, but basically like mid-tier, mid-card. Now, he was on the indies whenever he wasn't in WWE. So like he had multiple runs and then when he wasn't on WWE, he would go back to the indies. He was in TNA for a while and that was his most recent run. He also spent some time in New Japan, but it says here actually he came on to NXT as a trainer. Okay. It says he was backstage at Our Evolution trying out for a trainer role. And after this match, he started working as a trainer and ended up training some folks behind the scenes and actually appeared as a recurring character in season four of Total Divas. Oh. So, yeah. And he'll go on to do some more in WWE, but never become like a big star. But I think we were talking about Adrian Neville being wrongly perceived as like a tricks guy, like like a gymnastics guy. Yeah. Who just like does flips. Brian Kendrick always could be relied upon for like for the flippy stuff, for athleticism. And I think for that reason, he is stuck in people's minds more than maybe he otherwise would have mm. based on his role in the company. That's my understanding. I think people were generally like happy to see him. He may have been one of those guys who a certain segment of the audience felt like should have had more success. Mm which always tends to lead to chanting when you come back. <laughs> Finn Balor slinks out like a fucky left. Chris, does anyone's entrance look more satisfying to do than Finn Balor's? Like if people popped for you doing that, the way that they pop for Finn Balor, like WrestleMania, you come out, you do the thing. And like, it's legit. Everyone reacts as though you are Finn Balor, or in this case, you are just our Finn Balor, whatever it takes. It would feel amazing, right? It's a very short list of entrances that are as good or better than Finn Balor's. It's extremely satisfying. Although I would say they're pretty thick on the ground in NXT. Yeah, true. Bailey. Oh, you'd look cute with the little arm streamers. Shinsuke Nakamura. Ooh. You'll see Bobby Roode here eventually. Oh, and of course, like classic Bray Wyatt. Mm. Like the Firefly entrance. Mm. That one's not demanding at all. Like you need the charisma, but in terms of like you've just had a long flight to Raw or whatever, all you need to do really is just walk down the ramp. You don't need to get all blown up running to the ring like the Ultimate Warrior or whatever. You just gotta just gotta walk with the lantern. <laughs> Tactical. <laughs> 
All right. Also featuring special guest commentator, Kevin Owens. The match starts. And when it appears that Kendrick tweaks his ankle, Finn backs off much to the astonishment of Kevin Owens, who can't believe that anyone would leave room for their competitor to breathe. Alex Riley is trying to get to the bottom of Kevin Owens choices which KO does not appreciate. But Kevin Owens nonetheless like takes his leave of the situation very politely. It was a absolutely a Canadian storming off of just going, you know what? <laughs> I'm just going to go before I do something I regret. It's been lovely. Good night. Back in the ring, Kendrick is getting his areola slapped to shit by Finn Balor. Areola Jones, as Taz would say, he's <laughs> He's said that a lot in AEW. So much talk about areolas. <laughs> Amazingly, Brian Kendrick does kick out after all of this, you know, areola torture. A- areola Jones, also the subtitle of Nipple Frenzy 2. Continue. <laughs> he even manages a tornado DDT, the one where you do sort of like eh, a dosy do kind of thing with your opponent before spiking them on their head. Kendrick doubles down by hooking the arms of Balor to give him what Corey Graves says is a tiger suplex. I don't know. But I was like, more accurately, it's just a, I hope I hear every single bone in your cervical spine shatter. It looked so disgusting. And I was like, if that goes wrong, if that goes wrong and you land badly, I don't like it. I don't like it and I don't want to see it. I want people to be safe. But I love a tiger suplex. Really, you know what? Moves with animal names. I don't know what it is about them. But like Falcon Arrow, badass. You know, dragon suplex, not a real animal, still counts. Great suplex. Tiger suplex, yes. Fisherman has fish in it. Fisherman suplex. Fantastic suplex. Fisherman suplex is a good suplex. Yeah, yeah. Reverse shrimp hold, obviously. Uh, I mean, it's only, yeah, because you wouldn't want it to be like a regular ass shrimp hold. You only want a reverse shrimp hold. <laughs> right. If you did a Boston Crab the other way around, you'd be bending their body the way it doesn't go. That would not be fair. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So despite the ugliest fucking suplex ever, it's also the most beautiful, but also the ugliest. It is still not enough for Brian Kendrick to evade the dreaded dude scoot. Finn Balor gets to pin Kendrick for the win. Although still holding the back of his neck, which is maybe selling, but also I suspect he's not selling. I suspect it did fucking hurt that much. (laughs) At the top of the ramp appears Kevin Owens. Maybe he's there to scope out the number one contender, which was ostensibly why he was a commentary in the first place. But I guess he wanted to come back and take a look. But no, no, actually, he's there to hurl Alex Riley over the commentary table. And then no one seems upset about it. Why would they be? I know. It's just like the crowd, the other commentators, everybody's just like, oh, well, that was kind of surprising. (laughs) That's it. That's it. Yeah. Alex Riley is injured. He's bullied in the workplace in front of so many people (laughs) and no one gives a fuck. KO walks backstage (laughs) to the sound of no music. Just crowd rowdiness and not even like a properly rowdy crowd, just sort of like, hey, what's going on? Is Are, are we going to have real stuff happening or is it just going to be Alex Riley looking sheepish? Poetry. <laughs> Fucking poetry. Uh. And that was the episode. 
Thank you for that breakdown, Bob. What did you think of this episode overall? There was some really good stuff in it. Some real what the fucks. And that always delights me. So I was pleased by that. Yeah, you were saying last time that you needed more dumb shit. And I think the little segment with Solomon Crow was so funny. <laughs> it reminded me of like in the old days, there was one notable instance where like they cut backstage to like, you can get on CompuServe now and talk to WWE wrestlers <laughs> and like shot of Shawn Michaels, who clearly has never touched a computer before. Oh my fucking God. It's like Solomon Crow sitting there on the stairs like he delivers his promo as though he's like considering what he wants to say. And then he hits a button at the end as though he's going to send it. And it's like, dude, you're live. Like, do you not realize you you turn the camera on and you started talking. And now then when you're done composing, you're like, yeah, perfect. <laughs> now I'll hit the enter button and everyone will hear. It. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. Camera lights on. <laughs> so fucking goofy. And like the announcer shenanigans and just, I don't know, the whole classic like tag team breakup. The relax in the ring. That got a big pop, oh, too. And like the yeah. selfie stick and everything. Everyone's like, oh, marital strife? Fuck yeah. Yeah, yeah. Big wacky episode. I liked it a lot, too. Yeah, it was good shit. So I guess that's it for this episode. No ringing the bell. Although earlier I was looking ahead to some future episodes for our next big thing stuff. Mm -hmm. There is a bell ringing coming up that I'm excited to talk about, but not yet. For now, it's time to go to the sights, sounds and feels of pro wrestling. Bob, what did your elf eyes see this episode? But watch. But watch. The hummingbird on Brian Kedrick's butt? Mm. I just thought it was such a weird bird to have on your butt. I mean, I think that hummingbirds are very dangerous, but they're proportionally dangerous. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I would not go, ah, yes, the mighty hummingbird. A real baller name to have as a superhero, I guess. Mm -hmm. It's just not that kind of thing. And so to have that on your butt, I is it, I guess, because he's small and lightweight and fast moving, maybe? I guess so. I don't know. Again, I, I'm not very familiar with Brian Kendrick's thing, so I don't know why he has a hummingbird on his butt. You're right. That is a weird bird to have on your butt. Yeah, it's not a bird that bespeaks grandeur. It's a bird that bespeaks being tiny and indignant. Very briefly in a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Other Strangeness game, I played a hummingbird of the diabolical alignment who was extremely evil, was a literal sadist, but only toward other hummingbirds. Mm -hmm. And so functionally, like he's just a regular dude to people like other than being a hummingbird Aww. because he was only sadistic toward fellow hummingbirds. Hummingbirds are like that. They will guard a feeder pretty intensely. Also, they take it very seriously. If you haven't refilled the feeder, they will come to the window and look angrily at you. Chris, what did your elf eyes see? We bibled our way past the women's match, but I want to note that there's something happening in that match. I saw Bailey not just being more aggressive, which commentary uh, picked up. Heck yeah. Which I think was very positive. Good job commentary on that. But also being aggressive, like finding her voice as a more aggressive wrestler. I think that's a big distinction that people sometimes miss out on. And I love to see it here where she's behaving in a way now like she's grabbing people, throwing punches, looking like she's trying to hurt somebody. It's a definite style change, but it all is clearly motivated and seems like her character. Yes. Which deepens her character. So it's like it freshens up the in-ring act. It gives her more range, but it deepens the character rather than just <laughs> seeming incongruous with the character, which sometimes is what happens where somebody tries to incorporate a new in-ring thing. but 
there's no rationale, there's no like emotional reality to how it connects to their character. And so they're doing this thing and it's like, it does look like they've just like had a new move randomly swapped into their move list, like in a video game. It's just like, that's not their move. That's weird. So yeah, Bailey is changing. Bailey is growing. The character and the moveset of Bailey are changing. It's great. I love Bailey and she's getting better and better in this period. Bob, what did your Vulcan ears hear? I heard Alex Riley say, I'm a man. And he said it in this way that was, look, I'm going to send you a link. I'm going to send you a link to one of my all time absolute favorite audio dramas. Well, it's an audio comedy. I need you to go to 18 minutes, 15 seconds, if you can, please. This is the episode Limerick from Cabin Pressure. You'll hear it whenever it happens. The delivery. I am a man. Yes, all right, Martin. You're not in an Arthur Miller play. (laughs) (laughs) The delivery of, like... Benedict Cumberbatch saying, I'm a man, and then saying, all right, Martin, you're not an Arthur Miller play. Whenever Alex Riley said, I'm a man, all I could think, all that happened in my head was Roger Allen saying, all right, Alex, you're not in an Arthur Miller play. (laughs) And I just was like, no, Alex Riley, no. The grandiosity of you to say a line like, I'm a man and try to make it be like, but I, I understand the universality. Kevin Owens, how could you hit your friend? And Kevin Owens being like, how could you not? And be like, but I'm a man. I have, you know, I have a heart. I have a soul. And like, (laughs) no, Alex Riley, you're not in an Arthur Miller play. Also, John Finnemore, who writes Cabin Pressure and who is writing the second season of Good Omens is the funniest man in the fucking planet. And I love him so much. He's the greatest person ever. I want to interject here. I noticed when he says I am a man, it's in response to Kevin Owens saying you were never a champion. Yeah. And what Alex Riley says about that is he he says, you're right. I was never a champion here in NXT. Mm. (laughs) In his wrestling career, Alex Riley held one championship. Oh, yeah. The FCW championship, which FCW was sort of like developmental before NXT. He held it for four months in 2010. That is the only time in his wrestling career Alex Riley has ever been a champion. Just to put the record straight, like, so nobody thinks that Alex Riley was, like, alluding to some, like, storied indie wrestling past. He was not. I love that you were like, no, 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 no. This man's bubble is thoroughly burst. But let me come in here to just, like, make sure that no one can ever blow a bubble ever again. Beautiful. <laughs> All right, Chris, what did your Vulcaneers hear? Would it shock you to learn that it was something Alex Riley said? I no, probably not. Go for it. I will say, though, this is out of appreciation, though. This is out of appreciation. Like, it's going to be helpful to me in my life. <laughs> As you mentioned, the exchange basically was Alex Riley is, is saying to Kevin Owens, like, it, you know, you showed no remorse. You showed no compassion to a friend in uh, your match with Sami Zayn. And... Owen's saying, like, I'm not here to show compassion. It's a competition. It's a fight. That's what I do. There's no room for remorse. There's no room for showing mercy to someone. And then Owen's saying, like, like, this is the difference between you and me. This is why you've never been a champion. And then Alex Riley says, no, but I'm a man. And as a man, I wouldn't do that to my friend. Mm. Later on, like after. So Owen's leaves. Right. And then the other commentators are like, hey, you know, good job pissing off the champ, Riley. And Riley's defense is I was just being a journalist. 
which is <laughs> he absolutely was not. But that's not the point. We've reached the point where I was just playing devil's advocate is kind of discredited like it's passe. Yeah, yeah. It's not blatant enough. I am going to move that we replace it with I was just being a journalist. Ooh. Like for personal situations, for debates that you're having, not even in public, like just two people alone in a room. You could be like, <laughs> you know what? <laughs> wow. You seem like the kind of person who's really fucked up your own life and it's your fault. Do you think that's accurate? And the other person is like, what the fuck? <laughs> you're like, I am, I am just being a journalist. I am just being a journalist right now. <laughs> Yeah, that's wow. That's a powerful move. We've we've learned a lot of like helpful hacks for ruining relationships in this episode. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Megan Bob, most importantly, what did your human heart feel this episode? Sad for Bull Dempsey. So goddamn sad for this man who was being shown up by Rhino. I mean, incredibly shown up by Rhino, but then also being asked to in some sense, job for Hideo Itami after being treated like he was going to be something and then being nothing. Just mm. fuck. To have to come out and put on a show. And like, it would be one thing if you had to put out the show, like if you had to go out there and do that, but you know, like they didn't show the entrance. They're just like, oh, you're just a jobber mm -hmm. again. But to be like, no, no, remember, we tried to make you a thing. Yeah, go do that. Oh, my Oof. God. It's having a job is really hard. <laughs> and Bull Dempsey is like, he's struggling. And I empathize mightily. He has such soft, beautiful hands. Like, leave him alone. All right, Chris, what did your human heart feel? I really felt and enjoyed the commentary about Brian Kendrick. Like, I think the stuff happening on commentary, like the bit with Kevin Owens and Alex Riley and like setting up that whole thing, that was effective at doing what it needed to do. Calling the match was secondary. That's like the brief they were given so fun. But just like what is going on with Brian Kendrick seemed very authentic to me. Like, I loved the fact that when, when I think it was Corey described Brian Kendrick as the post-apocalyptic scavenger, <laughs> then one of the other commentators was like, what the fuck? Like, who calls him that? <laughs> and like, what does that mean? And then Corey Graves trying to defend it. Like, I didn't make it up. And Corey Graves actually said, like, when I met him, the first thing he said to me was, hi, I'm Brian Kendrick, post-apocalyptic scavenger. <laughs> <laughs> It's hard to do in wrestling because the personalities and the characters are so extreme. But I love it when you can put over almost always with a grain of truth. We all work in wrestling, but truly this guy is weird. I don't know what his deal is. <laughs> I believe that about Brian Kendrick. I believe that was people's experience of him. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. We are almost done with this episode of NXT. But before we move on, it's time to hand out our Lawrence Bolivier Awards for commitment to the bit. So, Bob, who gets your Lawrence Bolivier Award this episode? Ty Dillinger! Motherfucker earned it. That face. That fucking face he made where he's like, I'm shitting myself right now. Tremendous. <sighs> Peerless. It was so good. Ty Dillinger is so great in that moment. Yes. And <laughs> what's great is it's not just fear. It's also like this fucking day. The look up because he's trying to make a point. Yeah. He's trying to make a stand and something is happening that is going to completely pull focus from it. So he's going to get his ass kicked. But also he's at great like 
personal expense. It's taken him courage to stand up and say something and it's going to get completely ignored. And that's frustrating at the same time that he's scared. It's he's perfect in that moment. So, so good. He is underappreciated. He's extremely funny. All right, Chris, who gets your Borens Olivier? Rhino. Oh, good point. Rhino's promo. Like, I'm not the biggest fan of the shouty promo, but I appreciate that rhino like coming into a company as like as a guy who's established coming into a company where everything is being done in kind of like a new style these are rising stars these are like people who are on the cutting edge that everybody's excited about here comes rhino who is a known quantity not changing his style at all like we don't do things this way here like we don't cut promos like this really anymore but that's just who rhino is there is no other setting on rhino (laughs) and it would be weird if he came in and started acting like he is this indie guy who is like doing this nuanced thing this is just rhino this is just who he is and yeah we want him to be that person so he made absolutely the right choice and you can see you mentioned it earlier partly it's that it's already over but there's also a difference in his delivery in that bull dempsey looks like a guy who wants you to buy into him yes rhino looks like a guy who doesn't even notice you're there yes correct this is crucial distinction all the difference in the world yeah it's rhino you know what you've won me over you're right rhino totally deserves one ah jesus ty dillinger's bad day continues (laughs) no i'm still giving it to ty dillinger he needs it (laughs) so anyway that is one more very wacky episode of nxt And one more step in Sami Zayn's journey, albeit a step in absentia behind us. Now it's time to see if Bob can predict the next big thing. This episode, we were blessed by the sight of Kevin Owens hurling Alex Riley over the announce desk. We are now eliminating that option from your list and replacing it with a new big thing that may be coming to an NXT near you soon. Your four options for the next big thing that will happen next episode including the three carried over from last week, and one new one, are A, just a handful of years removed from appearing in the main event of WrestleMania, a former main roster superstar returns to the ring in NXT, where Kevin Owens calls them dumb and threatens to end their career. B, hometown hero Dolph Ziggler makes a surprise appearance on NXT, but unexpectedly sticks around for months and becomes a part of storylines, rather than pulling a Curtis Axel and vanishing after he loses twice. C, Sami Zayn once again cuts a cell phone promo from Montreal, where he's brooding over what he'll do to Kevin Owens as soon as he's mentally fit for an NXT return. Or D, a very green, very sparkly Alexa Bliss beats the women's champion one-on-one. Sami Zayn. We're supposed to hear from him, but they didn't say live. Okay, so your prediction is that we will hear from Sami Zayn. He will once again cut a cell phone promo from Montreal, where he is brooding over what he'll do to Kevin Owens. All right. All that remains is the outro. And uh, I believe that has become your job, Bob. It has. You know what? I just want to say to you, remember. Guys, guys. Guys, do you remember whenever Alex Riley on commentary said Tom milked a cat once? Do you remember that? (laughs) Do yourself a favor. Do yourself a fucking favor and just think about Alex Riley quietly in a lull in commentary saying, Tom milked a cat once. (laughs) (laughs) What I would love to do, it would be about three hours long. There should be a cut of an episode of NXT with Alex Riley on commentary. 
but every time he says something dumb, you splice in, like, cut to the announce table, and Kevin Nolans throws him over it. <laughs> All right, everybody. Tom milked a cat once. <laughs> The NXT Wrestling Fan is produced by Lucas Brown, with logo design by Claire Mulcairin. Special thanks to Rafael Medina for his theme song, Learn Buckle. You can follow his creative work on Twitter at EarthMofo. Also thanks to Kevin McLeod for additional music and stingers, which are licensed under Creative Commons. Find his work at incompetech.filmmusic.io. We're on Twitter and Facebook at The NXT Wrestling Fan. Come talk to us. You can also follow Chris on Twitter at MegaDumbCast and Megan Bob at Megan Bobness. The NXT Wrestling Fan is made possible thanks to our supporters on Patreon. If you'd like to help us out, go to patreon.com slash nxtwrestlingfan and join our fantastic stable of contributors. They're the best. And if you enjoy the show, please subscribe and review wherever you get your podcasts. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, feel free to email us at nxtwrestlingfan at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. I didn't write this down, but Boudica, Boudica would so not have stood for that. Boudica would have been like, bitch, I don't have time for a selfie. I have fucking Romans to kill.